0: I'm Ben Davies, and this is The Clear Money Mindset.
1: The other piece of advice I would give people is, it's usually a good idea for like once a year or once every two years, go on Equifax or TransUnion and run your credit report. Because I've had it happen now a half dozen times where we had clients that were either refinancing or they were buying something and they were very well to do and everything was fine. And they had some goofy thing that went wrong on their credit report that completely tanked their ability to qualify.
0: Welcome to the Clear Money Mindset, providing you with help and tips to manage your money in a clear and intentional way. I'm your host and financial advisor, Ben Davies. At Davies Financial Sterling Mutuals, we want to provide you with meaningful tips to help you with your money. This is the second half of our conversation with Sebastian Schmoranz on real estate. Sebastian is a local lawyer from Kingsville, Ontario. In this part of the conversation, we talk about pools, tenants, new builds, and how to avoid common mistakes people make when buying or selling a home. Sebastian is incredibly knowledgeable and entertaining when it comes to the topic of real estate. If you missed our last podcast, go back and have a listen. It's great. We know you're going to enjoy it and you're going to really enjoy the conversation we have today.
1: What other things can you do you can go to private lenders now private lenders are just generally speaking rich people or business owners who are sitting on a pile of cash who like to lend it out now what you need to be aware of is that um, those loans can in many ways be much more flexible but at the same time they will have a much higher interest rate so you might get a mortgage where you only have to pay interest for the first six months And then you pay interest in principal and you can pay it down in full at any time without any penalties whatsoever, but you're getting the money at 13 to 15% interest. So if- Which is huge, makes it- Big difference in the end. For example, but let's say you have really bad credit, but you have a really high earning job. So I know people that have gone through a bad divorce or they got sued or something went horribly wrong. They had a failed business, but they're still successful financially, but they won't qualify for a traditional mortgage, but they have great cash flow. And if the cash flow is good, that's a totally fine way of buying an asset. Does that apply to everybody? Should that apply to a first time home buyer? I hope not but it is an option. The other option is, um, what we call VTB mortgages or vendor take back mortgages. So you, this works particularly well if you're buying an investment property. So, and by that, I mean, you're moving into what was an investment property. So let's say it's a rental house and you're going to live in it. Or let's say the owners are elderly and they're moving into a retirement home. So, If I own a house and the house is free and clear, I no longer have any mortgages on it, I have 100% equity in the home, which is the dream for everyone. And I want to sell it and you come to me and say, you want to buy it. And I say, great. And then you say, well, I have trouble uh, getting approved for a mortgage, but I can show you all my bank statements. I can show you my pay stubs. I'm good for it. I've got cash flow. What we can do is rather than you buying the house from me and registering a mortgage with a bank on it, I, the owner of the house, will give you the mortgage back on closing. So what happens is we, we agree on closing how much of down payment you're going to give me. You give me your 10% or your 5% or your 15% or your 20% or your 30% or whatever you want to give me. We transfer title from the owner of the house to the person who's buying it. And then we register a mortgage on title that's held by the previous owner. And then we can negotiate whatever kind of interest rate everybody's happy with or whatever payment terms everybody's happy with. And we pay it off over time. I actually recommend this in the classic cases where it's within a family maybe where mom and dad are in their 80s and they're ready to move to a retirement home. And we okay. want to have some degree of retirement income. And maybe son and daughter want to buy the house or maybe grandson wants to buy the house or cousin or niece or nephew wants to buy the house. And grandma and grandpa don't just want to give it to them. And they don't want to give it to them for free. They still want some sort of income. We set it up where, you know, grandson buys it from grandma and grandpa. And grandma and grandpa give them back a vendor take back mortgage, which is great because now grandma and grandpa can go to the retirement home and they're getting monthly payments of principal and interest, which in many ways make for a really nice little retirement income. And they can live off that for a very long time. And usually it makes things a lot easier for the buyer of the house because usually the terms are flexible and it gets them into a house more cheaply.
0: And you could actually see that happening a lot in the next generation or so as value gets transitioned and younger people have a harder and harder time buying a house. That's, that's cool. I know, I know on the B and C lenders, we've always told people, look, when, if your financial circumstances haven't changed, because I've had people say, well, listen, we got this B or C lender and it's only going to take me, you know, six months and then I'll have a, a real mortgage again. I say plan on it being five years. And look, because life just doesn't always work that way, because the last thing you want is to factor your life on, you know, six months of a really high interest payment, in five years, and then it turned into five years, sorry, and it wound up costing you a lot more, and maybe waiting was the right idea. Buyer take back, that's, that's a pretty cool idea, though, for uh,
1: they you know, can be people, tr- I like that. But even with so even with when we're talking about BNC lenders, it can happen to normal, you know, healthy people, too. So the other piece of advice I would give people is it's usually a good idea for like once a year or once every two years. Go on Equifax or TransUnion and run your credit report because I've had it happen now a half dozen times where we had clients that were either refinancing or they were buying something and they were very well to do and everything was fine. And they had some goofy thing that went wrong on their credit report that completely tanked their ability to qualify for something. I had one where um, it was an issue where a car was financed and they traded it in for a new car and the dealership forgot to delete the initial financing agreement off, hmm. off their credit score. And so it went delinquent. So it looked like they hadn't paid, but it just was a clerical uh-huh. I had one where a client had four different credit cards, made all their payments on the credit cards all the time, decided one credit card they were gonna get rid of entirely and had like a $4 balance owing on it for like five years because they were, from what they understood, they'd closed the thing out and it was done. And it was just because they hadn't fully paid it off. And it showed as a delinquent loan on their credit score. And it completely tanked their ability to qualify for a mortgage. And a lot of people don't notice this stuff. Like identity theft happens. That's the worst case scenario. Yep. But the best case scenario could literally be like you, you signed up for a new cell phone with Rogers, and you financed your last cell phone, and it was supposed to roll the old financing agreement over to your new cell phone, and the guy at the cell phone store forgot to delete the old financing agreement off your credit report, and now it shows that you're delinquent on something. And it's very easy to have that happen, and if you wait until you're trying to qualify for a mortgage to have someone pull your credit report and find that out, you're going to see up the creek.
0: Yeah, then you've, you've you've tried and got denied. Um, I know Equifax, they, I think it, it's probably more now, but I think it's like 25 bucks and you can get a really cool digital um, breakdown of everything and all, all of your credit history, which is great to know anyway. So Sebastian, where you come in? After an offer is accepted, um, what are the things that someone like you is taking care of between than in the closing date, other than, um, you know, just hopping on a Zoom call at the end saying, sign here, sign here, sign here, sign here. I'm sure uh, you can't be a weekend warrior lawyer either. Uh, So what are the things that are going on? And this kind of just helps clients understand, I think, why it's important to have a good real estate lawyer in the first place. So what are you doing after somebody said, hey, Sebastian, I've just inked a deal on a house, sending you the offer now uh take care of it for us what's happening
1: so um the way real estate transactions work in ontario and it's different province by province because each uh, lawyers are regulated by province so i can only act on real estate transactions in the province of ontario um the only way that title legal title or legal ownership of the property can transfer from person one to person two and the only way that a mortgage can be registered on title to that property and money be exchanged is through lawyers trust accounts. So there needs to be a lawyer who represents the buyer and a lawyer who represents the seller. They cannot be the same lawyer unless it's a family related deal. So you've got a divorce and there's a separation agreement and one spouse is coming off title or it's parents transferring to children. There are some exceptions there. It can be two lawyers within the same firm but it can't be the same lawyer. What do we do? We receive an agreement of purchase and sale from a realtor if we're acting for a buyer. It sets out all the basics. What's the name of the buyer? What's the name of the seller? What is the address and legal description of the property? How much of a deposit was paid? What's the purchase price? What's the closing date? What kinds of chattels are included? What kinds of fixtures are included and excluded? Do we have to worry about HST? and what kind of conditions are in the agreement. Now, chattels are a fancy word for saying things you can move around, like your washer and your dryer and your, your furniture, right. and fixtures is a fancy way of describing things that are affixed to the building itself, <laughs> i.e. the light fixtures and uh, the plumbing. Um, so what do we do? The first thing we do is we do a title search. So the all legal ownership documents for residential, for, for all types of uh, real property in Ontario, are managed by the Land Titles Office, Land Registry Office. Um, They used to have multiple physical office locations throughout Ontario. It's now all done electronically. They only have one head office in Toronto. But what we do is we hire a professional title searcher and her job is to go out and she pulls the actual legal description and the unique um, parcel register for your particular property because every property in Ontario is described by a unique identifying number. It's called a PIN number. Um, and she looks at that to see, is the person listed as the seller actually the owner of the property? Because real estate fraud is a big problem in Canada. For all we know, the, the classic story, the guy who sold the Brooklyn Bridge four times who didn't own it, right? So you get <laughs> yep. a guy named John Smith who says he's selling you his house on Main Street for 600000 bucks, and it turns out John Smith doesn't own that house. So we got a serious problem. Um, We want to look at are there easements? Are there rights of way? Are there any types of weird leases or other agreements that are affecting title? All of those things would be registered on title. Those are all things we'd want to look at because what happens is the lawyer for the buyer sends a letter to the lawyer for the seller called a requisition letter, which is the fancy way of saying it's a laundry list of, hey, Here are all the things we found registered on title. Give me more information about them or delete these things or promise me you're going to pay all these things out on closing because my client is entitled to receiving the cleanest title that he can get or she can get when this deal closes. That's thing one. Thing two, most people, when they buy, they get a mortgage. So as a real estate lawyer, we act for two clients. Our client is the buyer and the bank. So then we deal with the bank. So you might have been pre-approved for a mortgage. They might still need to go out and get an appraisal done. They might still need to remove the financing condition, or maybe it's already been removed. The bank is going to send mortgage instructions to the lawyer that are a whole laundry list of things they're going to want us to complete prior to that bank saying, yes, we will lend Mr. Smith all this money on closing. Like we notice, Mr. Smith has three credit cards that have outstanding balances right now. We want to see that those are all paid down to zero on closing. Otherwise, you don't get money or we see that Mr. Smith has a spouse. She needs to consent to this transaction because the Family Law Act says it doesn't matter who's on this agreement. If you're legally married, husband and wife need to consent to this transaction. Those are the kinds of things we do. So we arrange the mortgage. We then deal with your home insurance broker or your home insurance provider because especially if you're getting a mortgage, the bank wants to make darn sure that there is an insurance policy on that house because they don't want to lend you 600,000 bucks and then you burn your house down the next day pocket all the money and leave. One of the conditions of a mortgage is we name the bank as the loss payee on the home insurance policy because mm. we don't like home insurance fraud. Yep. Once we do all those things, and we communicate with the lawyer for the other side, we then reach out to you, the client, and we say, look, here's all the information we need from you. We need all of your ID. We need all of your details about who you are, date of birth, profession, residency status, because we need to make applications for land transfer tax or HST related rebates, or potentially capital gains if we're selling. We go through Mm -hmm. all of those things with you. And then usually in a perfect world, five to 10 days before closing, sometimes in this market, one to three days before closing, we meet with you, we review all those documents with you, we make sure you understand them. You sign them and then we take those and we send them to the lawyer on the other side. We then also calculate how much money you gotta pay, i.e. the remainder of your down payment and all the various closing costs, registration fees, legal fees, real estate commission, land transfer tax, HST. All of those things, you send that money to our trust account. Then on closing, we send that money to the trust account for the lawyer on the other side, along with the mortgage money that's been wired to us by your bank. And in exchange, electronically, the lawyer on the other side releases the deed, which is a fancy way of saying they take their client's name off title to the property. You put your client's names on title to the property, you register the mortgage, and then keys can be exchanged. And then it's the most exciting part of any real estate deal when you actually get your new house.
0: Yep, that's cool. That's a nice, concise explanation. So part of that you mentioned is having a clean title. I'm guessing this is where title insurance comes in. Uh, What is that for people who don't uh, understand it?
1: So for those of your listeners who are over the age of 50, Many of them bought their first houses before title insurance even existed in Canada. So title insurance really started becoming a thing in the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s. Okay. Essentially, we all know what insurance is. Insurance is essentially you're buying a policy that says that if a certain number of defined risks happen to you, we will either pay you money, we will pay someone else money, or we will pay someone to fix the thing that we said we were going to protect you from. So title insurance is quite literally insurance that you buy that protects the legal title to your property. And here's why we do that. So when I do your title search, the only thing I am capable of finding is whatever someone bothered registering on title to your property. Now, mm-hmm. if for whatever reason, the owner of the property had a handshake deal with the neighbor that he was going to lease the back half of his property for the next 20 years and they put that in writing, but nobody ever bothered to register it on title, I would have no knowledge of it. Mm-hmm. And, and you buy the property and you move in and there's some random guy wandering around in your backyard and you say, what the heck are you doing there? And he says, well, I had a lease with the previous owner right. that I have it for 20 years and I pay you every month. And you say, well, I would never have bought the property if I would have known that because I was expecting to have full access to the whole thing. That's the basic example of title insurance. But that's the kind of thing where title insurance would pay to fix that problem. They would pay to discharge that lease, pay the guy out and lease. Hmm. Um, Or the, uh, it turns out that when they registered the survey on title to your property, and a survey is something that sets out the legal boundaries, the actual physical dimensions of your property, that the surveyor screwed up and your house is actually six feet onto the neighbor's lawn. And your neighbor is doing an addition on their house and they get a surveyor out and the surveyor realizes, hey, uh, we got a serious problem here because half this house is standing on the wrong property. That's the kind of thing I would never have found when I did my title search because there was a survey registered on title. The survey looks fine to me, and I'm not going to stand out there with, you know, a compass and a a GPS (laughs) and remeasure everything before closing. That's the kind of thing where title insurance would pay to either get a severance or an easement from the neighboring property or demolish and rebuild buildings, all those kinds of things that, you know, are essentially what we would call clouds on title. Those are things that can happen to title that aren't necessarily obvious when we do our title search, but they protect you. The other reason why we get title insurance is banks insist on it. If they're going to give you a mortgage, you must have title insurance. You cannot buy without them having it because the bank wants to make darn sure that what they're lending against is exactly what it says it's supposed to be. Right. Right. Because that's how they appraise the value of the loan that they gave you.
0: That makes sense. So if somebody's buying a house, um, are there any significant things in your experience that really stand out as blind spots or pitfalls for buyers or sellers alike as they get into the market?
1: Um, you want to think about uh, conservation authorities, pools, and tenants are three of the three of my favorite okay. areas that people tend not to think about. So okay. Huge chunks of Windsor-Essex County are governed by IRCA. IRCA is the Essex Region Conservation Authority, and they do lots of wonderful work in protecting the environment and ensuring that all of the development that is done in Windsor-Essex County in prescribed areas is done sustainably, which is great. Now. When you do a title search usually what will pop up is whether the particular property is in an area that is regulated by urca now generally okay. speaking anything that is next to the lake is regulated regulated by urca anything that's next to any type of wetland or body of water or protected natural environment is regulated by urca anything that runs along a municipal or agricultural drain is usually regulated by urca or anything that's on a floodplain is regulated by urca so ERCA can set out what you can and cannot build on a property and what you can and cannot do on a property. And generally speaking, what you're supposed to do when you build a deck or a shed or you make an addition on your house or you put in a pool or you do shoreline protection work is not only do you apply for a building permit from the town, you are also required to apply for a building permit from ERCA because ERCA gets final say as to whether the work should be allowed to take place and how that work is to be done. Mm. Any people in Windsor-Essex use the, if they don't know, it ain't gonna hurt them approach and just (laughs) do the thing, which is fine because IRCA doesn't have 9 million inspectors that will find out immediately. But when you go to sell and a buyer does a title search and writes to IRCA and says, do you have any outstanding work orders or permits or deficiencies? Suddenly you get a big, mean, nasty letter from IRCA that says, well, we do aerial photography of this neighborhood every year, so we can see from our aerial photography that suddenly <laughs> there's a pool there, or a garage, or a shed, or a deck. And our records indicate that no one ever applied for a permit before they got that done. Just just call it a natural wetland. They'll be yes, fine, right? They'll be that fine. That tends to cause problems. So that's, that's <laughs> the ERCA problem. The pool okay. problem. I have never done a real estate deal on a resale home where there wasn't an issue with the pool, Hmm. you have to understand that a pool is an unnatural thing. You've dug a hole in the ground and you've filled it with water and you've tried to convince that water not to leach out of that pool It needs to stay where it is. (laughs) Right? So pools leak, pumps break, hoses freeze and burst, filters stop working, pool covers let in all sorts of garbage, all sorts of problems with them. Now, not to mention, many pools in Windsor-Essex County are sometimes built without permits. So it sometimes turns out that you're not even allowed to have the pool that's there. And that sometimes in many ways sways people's decisions as to whether or not they even want to buy the house. A lot of people bought it because they wanted the pool. Right. I right. would always strongly suggest you ask your realtor or your lawyer to add a clause into any agreement for a house that you're buying that has a pool that we're either going to hold back a certain amount of money Um, until the pool can be opened and inspected. Because much like the world of boats and motorcycles, houses with pools tend to get sold in the fall and the winter when the pool is closed so that no one knows what the heck is wrong with the pool. Because if I had a bad pool, I sure would love to sell it when it wasn't open.
0: Because if
1: it's green and you can tell the water's not circulating and the pump doesn't work and the filter doesn't work in July – that's going to turn off potential buyers. But in December, you're going to say, well, the pool's closed, and we had it closed by a professional company, and everything's great. And <laughs> come, because it's Canada, and if you have a particularly cold winter and spring, you might not open that pool until May 15th, and you discover by May 15th that you have a $100,000 repair you have to do because now this pool is completely useless. Yep. So I would always suggest either a, assume, I always I try to, and, and it's hard to get buyers to think like this, but assume the pool is not going to work. Okay. Don't. If the only reason you bought the house was because of the pool, you didn't buy the right house. Like if it works great, but assume it's like, it's like buying a boat. Anybody I know who owns a boat loves their boat, but also knows that at any moment they got to throw another three or $4,000 into that boat because something went wrong. Yeah. And that is the knowledge of owning a boat. The best day of owning a boat is the day you buy it, the day you sell it. Right. <laughs> so pools are very similar to that. There are all sorts of risks with them. And if you can build it into the language of, I'd like to hold 10 grand back until we actually get the pool opened in the spring and see that it's good, or I'd like a discount off it, or I purposely bid low because I'm assuming I'm gonna have to put money into this pool, yep. then that's great, but they can be challenging. Okay. And then tenants are the last problem and they're the biggest problem, especially during COVID. So, and a lot of first time buyers, struggle with this problem because what's the cheapest housing that's typically available are rental houses right Mm. you have like some house near the college or near the university in windsor that usually has seven university students living in it and it's cheap and it's affordable and it's run down and you got it real cheap and you're going to move into it with your wife and kids and it's going to be great right or it's out in the county and it's had some long-term tenant in it for the last four years who's a chain smoker who has nine dogs and 16 children and you got it for really cheap, and the landlord's like, hallelujah, I don't have to deal with this disaster of a house anymore, and you bought it real cheap, and you're gonna fix it up, and you're gonna move in. Here's the problem, especially with residential. In Ontario, there are all sorts of laws about how you go about evicting a tenant when a house is sold. It yeah. Used to be much easier than it is now. It is very much, the law is designed very much to protect tenants. They don't care about landlords, and they definitely don't care about the poor first-time home buyer that's trying to buy it and move in. And what got especially bad during COVID was for a long period of time, they had to stay on all eviction proceedings in Ontario that ran right. for almost nine months. So there was no mechanism by which you could get these people out of the house. Hmm. So I always and all the realtors I work with, I always tell them, I'm like, if you don't know, or you're uncomfortable, or this is your first time writing an offer on a house that has tenants in it, please ask me because there are ways of running these deals and structuring these deals so that we put ourselves in the best position possible so that hopefully on closing, these people leave and your sweet new couple can move in and have the house of their dreams. Because if not, you need to have contingencies in place. Like I've had, I had three or four deals during the pandemic where people were moving down here from another town, like from hours away same day into a house that had tenants in it. And the tenant says, Screw, we're not leaving, go ahead, try and evict us. So now you've got people with like a U-Haul van and they've got nowhere to stay. And this could be months of us trying to negotiate to get this tenant out of this house. So it's it's it, it doesn't mean you shouldn't buy rental houses. It just means you really got to understand what it is you're getting into when you want to put a bid on one of those, especially if you're hoping to live in it. If you're mm-hmm. like, I like the rent that that house makes and I like the tenants and I'm going to assume the tenants and I'm just buying the house cause it's an investment. Great. Life is easy, but yep. if you want to live there and you want these people out, that's, that is an adventure in and of itself.
0: <laughs> okay. Two quick last questions. Some, you've covered a lot of this, some ways a real estate, a good real estate lawyer provides value to clients during the process. I think you've mentioned a lot, particularly in buying a new home or something like a condo, um, what kind of additional costs are involved in in building a home or buying a condo as opposed to like the typical buying and selling of a property that's already built, somebody already owns and you're just picking it off from them? Um, what are some things people should be careful of? And there's this word I'm not familiar with yet, but I will be by the time we're done on new builds, on uh, What is it and how does it protect me? So maybe we can squish all those into one big answer.
1: I'll start with new builds and with Terry on first, and then I'll end on what value we provide as a profession. So um, when you buy or sell a resale residential home, i.e. an existing house in a subdivision, you don't pay any HST on it. Now, because it is a good in the province of Ontario, so you would think you'd pay 13% tax on it, but that is exempt from HST. Um, now, if you sell a rental property or a commercial property, you're going to pay HST potentially, and or you'll pay capital gains tax on the sale when you go through with it. Now, yep. if you build a house or you build a condo or you buy what's called a pre-construction home or a pre-construction condo, you are getting a brand spanking, shiny new good in the province of Ontario, which means you have to pay 13% tax on that. Mm. Which is something, especially uh, shall we say less scrupulous realtors or realtors who aren't as used to dealing with these types of transactions kind of gloss over when sweet young new couple who's looking for their first new condo is signing paperwork very rapidly to get this fantastic pre-construction condo at a great price. We just want to check at either the bottom of the first page or the top of the second page of the standard form agreement of purchase and sale. Does it say that the HST is included in that price that you just agreed to? Or is it in addition to that price that you just agreed to? Because now it's that number times 1.13. Now, it's a bit before more money. So part attack, there is one silver lining to this. If you build a new home or condo in the province of Ontario or you buy a pre-construction home or condo in the province of Ontario, the government wants you to do that, both provincial and federal, because it supports the economy. So they have graciously provided a first time a, a new home buyer tax rebate for the okay. HSD. So the HST is divided between the federal and and provincial portion of that tax at the 13% spread over the two of them. They each offer a rebate based on what the base price of your home is. As the price of the house goes up, the federal rebate goes down to zero. And as the price of the house goes up, the provincial rebate goes up to a max of $24,000. I don't quote me on it because I don't remember it offhand, but I think the cutoff is somewhere in the 400s. It could be late okay. 300s, hot, low 400s. Beyond that, you're not getting any part of the federal HST back, and you're getting a max of $24,000 back from the provincial government. How does this work for you as the buyer? You don't pay full price on closing, submit to CRA, wait to get a check back in the mail in six months. That's stupid. What happens is what we do is an assignment. So the buyer gives that rebate to the builder because the builder runs a business and has an HST number and has spent HST on building supplies and is collecting HST from you on the price and they can use yep. it as credit. And the builder gives you a corresponding discount off the price. And that discount is the same as the rebate you would have gotten from the provincial and federal government. So mm-hmm. on closing, you pay less. Okay. But again, if you didn't pay attention and the price you agreed to on the paper was plus HST, you're still going to be paying more on closing than what you were expecting. Right, right. Plus land transfer tax, plus closing costs, plus registration fees, plus legal fees, right? So always something to keep in mind. Now, what is Terrion? Terrion is very cool. So in order to be licensed to build residential homes and condos in the province of Ontario, this only applies to residential, a builder must get certified and licensed by Tarion. Terrion is essentially a crown corporation, a semi-private, semi-public corporation whose job it is to train license and regulate residential builders in the province of Ontario. Why back in the 60s through the 80s in the early housing boom in the GTA, there were lots of sketchy builders who built crappy stuff that broke two days in and stole all your money and left. And they realized this was a disaster because these giant building projects, especially condos and apartments, are really difficult to fix once they're standing because then they become dangerous to the buildings around them. So we should make sure that people who are allowed to do it go through a little bit more rigorous testing. So they go through testing, they have to post a bond, they have to have insurance and financials that meet a certain threshold, and they have to pay into this system because essentially it's a giant pool of money that helps out home buyers that get screwed over by a builder. Mm. So, Terion provides you with a warranty. It's got one year, two year, and seven year coverage. And if you go, if you type Terion into Google and you go into to the website and you click on, I'm a home buyer, what is my coverage? The yep. cool thing about it is, and this is what I tell everybody who buys a new house or buys a new condo, the day you take possession, you go into that house. You turn every single light switch on, you run every single sink, you run all the appliances at once, you check all the drains, and you take some green painter's tape and you stick green painter's tape next to every single loose tile and paint chip and problem in that house. You take a picture of it with your phone and you email that immediately to the builder because your warranty coverage starts on day one when you take possession of that house. Hmm. The builder must correct those things for free, which are covered under your coverage. If they do not, Tarion will hire a builder to do it, and they will fine him and charge him back the money. So right. it is a beautiful coverage, especially the, the year one coverage is largely cosmetic. The, year, the seven year coverage is for structural. So if by year two, your house is settled and you have cracked like giant cracks in the foundation, they have to repair that for you. Hmm. So it, it exists to help cut down on fraudsters and scams. And for shoddy construction, there was a huge uh, scam. There were class action lawsuits over it throughout the eighties and nineties of giant construction uh, concrete companies that were watering down their concrete so that they could sell more concrete. And there are a couple instances throughout the GTA and Hamilton, Ottawa region of literally condo buildings that are crumbling. They are now structurally like unsound because they were built with garbage. They were built with, you can literally chip away at it with your finger, which is terrifying. Oh my gosh, Something that's supposed to be holding 50 stories up, right? So that's why Tyrion exists. That's why you always do a pre-delivery inspection before every single new buy where you go through with the builder with a checklist. And they usually try, the some of the smart ones try to downplay the issues with it. I always say this is where you, if you are not like this, you need to get your most OCD anal retentive friend to come with you. And they <laughs> need to point out every Everything. little thing big and small that is wrong with it because you paid for the coverage. You're covered. Right. So why not bring it to their attention because they are required to fix it. And it's yeah. free of charge, right? Because otherwise you'd have to make a home insurance claim and then you've got to pay the deductible and your premiums go up. Yep. So that's what Tarion is. Now, Finally, and I think as a conclusion, what is my value as a real estate lawyer? Um, and I would come back to the, what we were talking about at the beginning. What's the value of a good realtor? What's the value of a good investment advisor? I always like to use food analogies because I'm usually hungry and I love food. So <laughs> in the world of making what I like to call grown-up decisions, investing money, buying or selling a house, making a will, starting a business, yeah. there are many ways of doing it. You can go the McDonald's cheeseburger route. Or you can go the Ritz-Carlton route, or you can fall somewhere in between, because at the end of the day, to a certain point, you do get what you paid for. I am not the cheapest lawyer in Windsor-Essex County, and I have no issue admitting that. I'm also not the most expensive, and I'm also not the cheapest, because at the end of the day, you are about to make what is for many people the biggest investment of your life. And if something goes wrong on closing day, I would hope that you have paid the professional who is helping you deal with this enough money so that they care enough to clear their calendar for the day and spend their entire day on the phone or running back and forth to the bank or arguing with a builder or a lawyer or a realtor on the other side and negotiating in your best interests. If you pay the bargain basement price, You can't be sad when you get bargain basement service. That doesn't mean that you don't still get some level of service. I'm very proud of the fact that on average, most lawyers in Ontario are very competent, professional, fantastic people. But I would always argue, do you really want to save the money on your lawyer or would you rather maybe buy ikea furniture instead of high end furniture for your first house right <laughs> i think yes. the ikea furniture and a more reasonably priced lawyer are better than well i had to buy top of the line high end custom kitchen cabinetry and so i went for the cheapest professional i could find right and it's the same it's the argument with purple bricks it's the argument with you know what do you what do you really get from your financial advisor at the end of the day, yes, of course you guys charge management fees, but you would hope that the good ones charge management fees because they actually provide you with good returns on your money. And right. cheapest ones might not do any better than the index on average, right? So it's, yeah. it's, it's, you get what you pay for. You can have the McDonald's cheeseburger, or you can, I always like to say, I, I am the equivalent of a keg dinner. It's not the most high-end meal you're ever gonna have, but it's slightly better than McDonald's and it's slightly better than Applebee's. And I would hope that, you know, you have a good experience and the customer service is excellent. And that if your steak is wrong, someone will show up immediately and say, well, let's take that back to the kitchen and get you a new steak and ensure that you have the best experience you can have.
0: Nice, that's a great explanation. And the conversation we've had today has really kind of borne that out. It's, uh, you can tell you've done your homework and that knowledge that's uh, in your brain is being translated out and benefit for your clients. This has been awesome.
1: Uh, I hope what I said made sense and I wasn't just rambling incoherently.
0: Now, even if you were rambling incoherently, I couldn't even tell. So this is great. Uh, I just want to thank you for coming on, Sebastian. I think this this is going to be uh, invaluable to people to to listen into. I think especially first-time home buyers to be able to have a resource like this just to turn on. And, and before they get into all of the rigmarole of buying a house, trying to pick a real estate agent, pick a lawyer, having this as a base knowledge is going to help a lot of people. So thanks so much for doing this.
1: Well, thanks for having me on the podcast.
0: You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Clear Money Mindset. We at Davies Financial Sterling Mutuals are here to help you thrive with your finances. You can find us online at daviesfinancial.ca. For help with your personal finances, you can email us at office at daviesfinancial.ca. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of Sterling Mutuals Inc. Mutual funds provided through Sterling Mutuals Inc. Commissions, trailer commissions, management fees and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the simplified prospectus before investing. Mutual funds are not guaranteed, their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated.